Hello, I'm Daniel Simpson, the host of Ancient Futures. And if you're hearing this, you're listening to a preview of an archived podcast. For the full conversation, go to ancientfutures.substack.com. The link is in the show notes and become a paid subscriber. Or you can also sign up for a free seven day trial with no obligation. If you already subscribe, however, you have access to everything via the website, um, where you can go to your account page to set up a feed to your favourite podcast app. Just follow the instructions at ancientfutures.substack.com forward slash account. Now, everything is free at the time of release, so it's also possible to subscribe without any charge to get the latest episodes direct to your inbox, along with other interviews and things that I write. All of that does take time to produce, though, so while it's a labour of love, subscriber donations do help make it sustainable. But if you're not in a position to pay, just send me a message and we'll work something out. For now, on with the preview. Hello and welcome to Ancient Futures, where we take a few steps forwards while looking backwards and try not to land flat on our faces. <laughs> so uh, the theme of this podcast really is seeing how old ideas relate to the present and uh, forwards into uh, what's to come, <laughs> but uh, you know, trying to anchor the conversation in some dimension of traditional wisdom, um, particularly from uh, the worlds of yoga uh, and meditation. Um, but you know, perhaps also broadening out into other conceptions of truth-seeking. Um, once upon a time, I was a journalist, and so uh, some of the field of inquiry uh, may branch out in those directions too. Um, today, uh, I'm talking to Peter Blackaby, and uh, Peter has uh, written a book called Intelligent Yoga, which explores his own uh, attempts to make sense of the world through experience, um, without taking things on faith from what others have said before. And uh, yeah, really, that's where uh, meaningful inquiry begins. So uh, our conversation, although it uh, is, is framed to a certain extent by yoga teaching, uh, broadens out into uh, yeah, what it means to be alive and how one makes sense of that and what we might do to live intelligently. So without further ado, uh, let's dive in and uh, enjoy the conversation with Peter Blackaby. So, Peter, welcome. Uh, a pleasure to be talking uh, rather than typing. We've had a lot of conversations on Facebook, but not yeah. until now in the flesh or, or yes. through the, the digital means. <laughs> yeah, good to meet you. And uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. As you say, we've typed to each other over Facebook, and I realise there are lots of overlapping themes that would be good to to talk about yeah I'm quite keen I think I said to you I had a similar area of conversation with Jay Brown hmm. I came away not feeling quite satisfied that um I, I didn't think I'd done a good enough job in trying to bridge our differences um I, I haven't heard it back yet so I, <laughs> I don't really know how, how well or badly I, I came across there but um, yeah, I am. I am like you. I'm interested not in polarizing these debates, but trying to find some common thread. Um, where do where do our ideas overlap, and where where is the languaging just that you know, and that we're talking about similar things as using different language? I think it's good to clarify that. 
Uh, well, let's 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 sort of um, set the stage, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that conversation, from what I could gather, was uh, you know really exploring whether there was something we could call God or something more than this world. And from mm. what I've read of your work, and I uh, should uh, should hold up your book <laughs> just to uh, you. give people some context. Intelligent Yoga, which is uh, you know quite an arresting title, and uh, you know quite quite intriguing at the same time because it, it it asks us to think um what 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 you seem to be doing in in your work is um encouraging people not only to think for themselves but to to feel and to yeah. start from experience rather than from ideas and obviously yeah. the, the whole tradition of yoga is full of ideas and part of what i do is talk about the ideas that have influenced yoga so I suppose um, you know there's a there's a gulf a little bit there between where we're we're standing, and at the same time I sense quite a lot of common ground. So I'm interested in seeing how to relate ideas from old texts to present world experience. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw in the first instance where I came across your writing at the back of uh, Peter Connolly's uh, Student's Guide to I think History oh, yeah. and Philosophy of Yoga, yeah. um, you're explaining your approach a little bit, the inspiration of Vandas Garavelli, and particularly yeah. the letting go of a lot of philosophy and just uh, seeing what happened and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what it was that led you to to approach yoga in that way well I, yeah Vanda was probably the bridge for me the you know I, I've explained I, I used to be an Iyengar teacher um, mm -hmm. which when I started it which is back in the 80s probably even the late 70s there was very little philosophy in his work in those days. It was all just exercise, really stretching and getting into these shapes in the best way you possibly could. Um, I think later he, you know, my, my slightly more cynical view of, of what happened to him was <laughs> he, he started to become more of a guru to respond to the demands of his students. You know, when he first arrived in England, he was wearing shorts and a T-shirt and could have been a gym instructor, really. Um, and then he, and he was actually he was actually encouraged to leave the philosophy out had he been wishing to put it in when he was training teachers um, yeah, for evening classes in London in the late 60s. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I never heard him talk about I mean, he got, he got a little bit in his book, you know, but it, mm. it was mainly um, asana work and, and how to deal with the asanas and, and the, the benefits and what have you of them. But, and of course, you know, if you study yoga, I, I, I trained um, through the Ayanga system and then did some work with the British Wheel of Yoga. So you come across all these yoga texts, you know, the Bhagavad Gita and the Tantric texts and um, Patanjali, of course, and all these ideas <laughs> about what yoga is and, or isn't. And, um, you know, because you're a yoga teacher, you feel you've got to familiarise yourself with all these ideas and the chakras and the kundalini and some aspiration to try and um, get your chakras spinning and, you know... <laughs> <laughs> do the things that yogi should be doing um, and of course you know I, I, st I started to feel a bit like a charlatan because that wasn't happening to me I, I didn't feel my chakras I, I felt stretch I could feel those things I could feel you know my, my body moving around but I had no sense of um, another uh, inner world that wasn't my body you know um, it wasn't that I couldn't put down some kind of physiological explanation. And for many years, I just didn't talk about it. I just kept stum and, you know, felt a little bit inadequate as a practitioner. But it, 
Once I'd come into contact with Vanda's work, I got a bit braver because she, in her book, Awakening the Spine, and her students, none of them, I mean, she pretty well <laughs> dropped everything to do with Hindu philosophy. You know, she, she even didn't really mention the names of the postures anymore. But she did start to insist on um, noticing how you notice gravity, how you notice your breath, and how you notice muscles release as you practice. You know, they will have three kind of watchwords: gravity, breath, and release. And, and um, I found that deeply relieving. You know, that I didn't have to think about all this other stuff anymore. I didn't have to worry about it. Um, and so I, I started slowly shifting from my Iyengar practice towards a more Scaravelli-based approach. It took some time and it was a difficult process because I'd invested a lot in Iyengar, you know. Um, but I did. I, I had a teacher called Mary Stewart in London, who you may or may not know of. Um, Read about through your book, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she, she was a very prominent Iyengar teacher in the 70s. Hmm. Um, and I caught up with her in the 80s when she started working with Vanda and her, her approach had changed to a more undoing approach. Now, if you've been doing Iyengar yoga and you've been sort of stretching to, to every cell of your body, you know, and then some teacher comes along and says, no, do less, do less, do less. It's, it's actually quite startling, you know, because, um, you, you know, if, if you define your practice through doing, and then someone says, well, actually, I want you to do less and less and less. You're not quite sure why you're there. You know, what, what is the point of doing less? Because I only define myself by doing more. Um, and that was the start of, of the journey, I suppose. You know, when at some point the penny dropped and I realised there was something in this idea of letting go. And I suppose my subsequent journey has just been the pursuit of that in, in, in spades. Um, and seeing where it takes you, uh, and it, it's, it's taken me quite a long way. <laughs> so, you would know, you not say, though, in some ways, that that is the essence of yoga philosophy: undoing and letting go? Yeah, but that's I I, 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 I hear you, but it's not what I heard from my teachers. Certainly in the mm. Iyengar world, there was nothing like that in the Iyengar world. So, you know, you could talk the talk, but you didn't really walk the walk, and that for me ultimately was quite unsatisfactory you know I, I think we should embody what we teach and I think that's an important principle for me I, I really I, I take I, I do take my yoga to heart you know there's something about yoga that I found deeply useful for my physical and mental well-being um, and it's related to the idea of letting go both physically and psychologically of ideas and beliefs and what have you and just learning how you meet the world and, and what that interaction with the world does to you means to you is it comfortable or uncomfortable was the discomfort something you can do something about or not you know th th these kind of questions become more profound the, the, the more you plumb them and they I find that more interesting, to be honest, um, than trying to figure out what Patanjali meant.
<laughs> what, what do you what let's get down to it. what do you think potentially meant i read an essay you wrote maybe 10 years ago or so about, about how he'd been sort of manipulated and you analyzed quite impressively the way that i oh, no, that was, that, that, that was my, that, that, that peter connolly's uh, essay ah, okay yeah, it was his yeah, it's on my website it. but it's peter yeah. Essay. Ah. yeah well i mean he pointed out that well, one of the things he pointed out peter pointed out to me was that you know you can he wasn't, as far as I understand it, and you, you know these things far better than I do, you know, he wasn't a Vedanta scholar, but, you know, plenty of Vedanta scholars have studied his work and, and tried to Vedantarize his work and, and try and subsume his work into, a, into another picture. That's what that essay was about, the Vedantarization of Patanjali. And my, my understanding of Patanjali is that, you know, his, his view is that our confusion really our, our problems, if you like, are based in our, um, in a sense, belief that we are our stuff, you know, we, we are this material world. And, that, you know, he's a, he's a dualist in the sense that he, he thinks our true nature resides in pure consciousness, or, or as my understanding, and not in the, in the Purusha rather than Prakriti, if you like. Um, and of course, I realise I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, a bit of a stumbling block if you if you bump into this and think, well, no, you know, I, I don't think that that's my confusion. I think I am this stuff. You know, I am this material body, and that's why I'm conscious. Um, you know, rather than this body being some kind of pair of spectacles that consciousness uses to to view the world. Mm. I mean, that's the fundamental kind of, I guess, collision between you know, the average Western worldview and the traditional yogic yeah. worldview, whether or not consciousness is sort of paramount, transcendent, eternal even, and yeah. whether it just is a, a, a phenomenon of the material existence of a body and a mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And these are collisions. You, it's difficult to fudge them um, because they lead to a very different kind of practice if you think about it. If you, if you think that the... You know, you, you think of a lot of ancient yoga sort of um, <coughs> ascetic practices where mm-hmm. the body is almost disregarded, you know, and you have these yogis sitting there with their arm in the air for 10 years. Because, <laughs> you know, in a sense, trying to prove how unimportant the body is compared to, you know, the, the true nature of their being, which is consciousness. Now, I would never advise anyone to do that. <laughs> you know, in fact, I would advise people to take care of their bodies and, you know, not in a not in a puritanical way, but you know, to take care of your body because that is what you are. Um, and you know, when we practice yoga, then part of our practice is how do we practice yoga in a way that cares for our body? It seems to me a very fundamental part of our practice, not one that bullies our body and beats it up and forces it into shapes that it's not really well adapted for. You know, um, I would say what we're trying to do is reduce any conflict between um i was going to say mind and body then but of course i'm shooting myself in the foot (laughs) because (laughs) i don't believe that um you know trying to find ease in life is about reducing conflict not Mm -hmm. avoiding it but reducing it where you can and i think uh how we practice yoga is part of that thing you know can I practice yoga in a way where I can do my postures and create ease in myself rather than 
stretch or strength or those kind of things if my my goal is ease rather than anything um more structural uh, i think we we start to inquire we start to notice more when discomfort arises and how we can deal with it um and then we can move on to noticing that we have similar aspects to our psychological and emotional world. You know, we have discomforts that arise and can we use them in, in a way without avoiding them? And I, I think this is a very rich way of noticing ourselves, starting off with a physical practice and then it, of course it becomes a life practice. You're trying to take that view into everything you do. Thanks for tuning in to this preview. Uh, to continue listening and to get access to all archived episodes along with other perks, visit ancientfutures.substack.com.